Hey guys, thanks for taking the drive down State Street. In today's episode, we welcome co-founder of Driftless Quality Wear, Clayton Lieb. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to State Street. This is the co-host, the voice, Nick Kleitch, and with me as always are my good buds, Cole Szynski and Jeremy Machino. Gentlemen, how are we? Nick, we are fantastic. We had just completed one of the greatest interviews, and I know I say that a lot, but this was a this was a blast. I absolutely love talking to our latest our latest guest. He's super knowledgeable. He started our own guest, and I'll shoot it over to Cole to intro him a little more. Well, yeah, our guest today was Clayton Lieb, and uh, I, I, I mentioned it to begin with, but Clayton was a baseball player with us. He's a former teammate, as you know, a number of our guests have been. We played baseball with some pretty interesting people, I, I, I gotta say, you guys. Uh, but dude, Clayton started his own business. He has a side hustle that took him all over the Midwest. The guy has done rafting trips. I mean, he's gone cross country. This guy has done everything and he is one of the most like diverse and he is one of the most well-rounded people that I think all three of us collectively know. No doubt. Yeah, Clayton, it was super exciting to have him on because of some of these things and of course we knew Clayton in college and and we got to know him there and and really become good friends, but getting to know him and or talking to him on the podcast rather, uh, he was it was so fun getting to learn his background and some of the entrepreneurial spirit that he showed, and uh, you know even some of the crazy trips that that we had talked about on and off the air. But uh, yeah, before we go ahead and kick it off, I want those ladies and gentlemen to go ahead and tune that radio into State Street and hop in and get on those kayaks as you guys are coming down and under the bridge. And here we go. Clayton Lieb, thank you so much for joining us, dude. How you doing? I'm doing great, guys. It's great to be on the show and see you guys again and finally get hop aboard the State Street bus, you know? <laughs> hey, the State, the State Street bus is a fun place to be, man. We have a lot of fun on this show. Hopefully that uh, that's going to remain constant. I, th- I mean, I think the three of us would agree having you on is, I mean, we're going we're gonna to keep the ball rolling with, with having a little fun here and and... I don't know, just getting to, getting to talk to a good buddy. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it for sure. I've been thinking about it pretty much all day, so hopefully we can <laughs> provide some quality content for the listeners. And I just I, I just want to say, because, I mean, for people listening, it may seem like, oh, Jesus Christ, these guys, they're, they're just bringing on their college buddies, their college teammates. It's like, when are we going to get to hear some cool people? To those people, like, Clayton Lieb is gonna is gonna rock your world because this guy has done everything. He has been everywhere. I mean, we're gonna get into Clayton's story, so I don't want to spoil any good details or or you know ruin a good story. But just get ready because Clayton Lieb has like like I said, I mean this guy like has done everything. He is Mister Do It All, Mister Know It All, and not in a bad way, in a very like awesome and exploratory way. And we'll we'll get to why that is. But so, Clay, why don't you just go ahead and, and kind of tell everybody listening who you are, where you're from, a little bit about you, and then we will uh, we'll get into some of the nitty gritty, man. Yeah. So um, for those of you that don't know me, my name's Clayton Lieb. Um, I'm from a extremely small town in northwest Illinois uh, known as Pearl City. Probably never heard of it. 
Um, yeah, I grew up um, here in town. I was kind of like the only kid in my class that actually lived in town. Like everybody else was in the country because my high school was so small. Um, but I really fell in love with baseball. I think I was in second grade and I was a really nerdy kid in school. So I was like really smart, really nerdy. And, uh, I won like an AR reading challenge or something. And, uh, <laughs> and, um, I got these tickets to a White Sox game. I had like won them at some like school raffle or something like that. And never really thought about it. My parents, both of them never really played sports growing up. So like I had no sports background at all. Um, and I was like the first child, so I didn't have any older siblings or anything like that that played sports. Um, so I got these tickets and my parents were like, oh, what the hell, you know, we'll go or whatever. And, um, we went and it was, I don't know, nosebleed seats, like top of the, top of the stadium. And, um, um, that year actually that we went was the year that the White Sox won the world series. So it was like kind of cool. It was like, yeah, it was like 2005 was the first year that I ever like went to a game. And, like, you know, three months later or whatever, they won the World Series. So, like, all of a sudden, my whole family, like, started following the White Sox. And, you know, turned into a huge White Sox fan. Started playing baseball um, pretty much as soon as I was able to and fell in love with it. And, yeah, and I knew pretty much right away I wanted to take it to the next level. Had to make some tough decisions going down the road. Really liked football going into high school. Um, didn't really work out with me playing fall baseball and football. So I had to give that up. Um, but yeah, I really wanted to play at the next level and was happy that I was able to find a home in Fayette. So, so you're quite the outdoorsman too. talk a little bit about that. Cause I mean, you, I mean, you, you, like you are the do it all guy when it comes to being outdoors too. And that's part of, you know, upper Iowa being up in com- country bumpkin, Iowa and you being from a small town, obviously Nick is our resident small town guy, as we've talked about at length. I think you're where you're from is a lot smaller than where Nick's from though. Is that right? Yeah. So my the town that I live in is about 850 people. So it's, 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 you know, about half the size of Fayette even. So, you know, going to Fayette was really not an adjustment at all for me just because I was so used to living in like that type of environment. I was used to not having a Walmart. I was used to not having fast food, like, you know, that type of thing. So that really wasn't a culture shock. But as far as like the outdoor stuff, believe it or not, growing up, I really wasn't that into it. Um, like I fished quite a bit when I was a kid, like with my dad and stuff, but I didn't really hike. I didn't really kayak or canoe or anything like that. Like I really wasn't that into it. Um, and it actually didn't, you know, wasn't having anything to do with my decision to go to upper Iowa. Um, it was once I got there is when I kind of finally got that, that click that like, holy shit, like there's a lot of shit to do here and we can, you know, have a lot of fun while we're here. So a lot of people like always think that, that, you know, like, oh, he's always been doing this. Well, not really. Like I really didn't start getting into it until I got to college. So. Well, you had mentioned that your parents weren't in athletics, right? Correct. So were they outdoors individuals? Um, my dad hunted and fished quite a bit. Um, I didn't really get that big into hunting. Oh, now looking at it, I, but, um, never really got into it that much. Um, but fishing, my dad fished quite a bit. So that's, that's kind of where I got some of it from, but I mean, nothing to the extent of what I'm fishing now. I mean, it's way different now, but yeah. 
Gotcha. Yeah, I was just curious because, you know, both of or excuse me, all of our parents were in athletics and that's kind of what baptized us a little bit, you know, to get into that as, as kids. So I didn't know if that was the case for you, but in terms of the outdoor stuff, but uh, it's kind of cool though. I think as we continue on this story, it's just fascinating how much you and, and Jake um, fell in love with that. Yeah, for sure. It's, it really is pretty an interesting story on how we started the whole thing just with I mean, everything that went down to where it, you know, starts as a joke and just kind of carries on from that. And we can, you know, get more into that later. But it really is a pretty interesting story, even with my background, too. It's like you would have never guessed it almost. <laughs> so, Clay, I want to get to I want to get right to um, you kind of coming out of high school, choosing where you wanted to go to school. Obviously, being from a small town, like you just said, it was super easy for you to adjust going to college in a small town. Talk about the road getting there. Um, obviously, you talked about trying to make a hard decision of football, fall baseball. What other hard hard decisions did you encounter getting to college? And then ultimately, kind of what led you um, to the start of that college path? Yeah, so... Um, myself, along with a lot of other people probably experience this too, but when you come from a really small town, it can be really tough to get recruited to go play somewhere. Um, my high school was really, really bad at baseball pretty much every year. Um, and actually when I signed with upper Iowa, I was the first baseball player for my school to ever, you know, play higher than like the division three level. So like nobody really played baseball my my high school had one team a varsity team you know freshman through senior we we always fielded one team so it was it was definitely a stepping stone because a lot of people you know if you were in my town you played basketball or football and you you know maybe played baseball but you didn't really care so like I was really one of the first ones that was really serious about it um and so yeah I had to do a lot of different things to get some looks because of, you know, my school was really bad and it was a really small conference that we played in. So I, you know, signed up for some club baseball, played club baseball, did some perfect game and got some exposure that way. Um, and really I wanted to play higher than the division three level just because I thought that, you know, I put a lot of time into this and stuff. And I, I think I owe it to myself to at least, you know, give a crack at one of the higher levels of baseball. Um, so I did visit a lot of Division three schools, but Upper Iowa was one of the only Division two schools that I visited, and um, that was why I, I chose that route, because I wanted to challenge myself a little bit and, um, you know, pick some higher quality baseball. So you mentioned, like, second grade was when you had that kind of click moment, just with baseball, going to the White Sox game, obviously them winning the World Series that year. Was that when it clicked with you also that you really wanted to take it serious as an actual player on the field? Or did that come later on when it was kind of like, I'm pretty good at this. I can make, I, I can, I can do some damage at this. And like D2 is a legitimate option. Yeah. So, um, it definitely didn't start out that way. I was, to be honest, not very good when I was growing up. Um, never was good until I think it was somewhere around middle school. I had gotten picked for an all-star team. Um, and I had a kind of an interesting situation because my town didn't really have like travel ball or anything, obviously, because it's such a small area. So I was playing in multiple leagues. I was playing in my town ball team, but then I was traveling, you know, 20 minutes to Freeport to play in their little league system. And then I was traveling an hour to Rockford to play for their club team. So I like, I had a bunch of different stuff going on at the same time. Um, but 
yeah, I just, I just found a way that kind of worked for me. And I really started to notice around like middle school that I started to kind of stand out a little bit. And I think that was mostly because, you know, I was playing a lot more than other kids were just with all the different leagues I was in. Um, I think that definitely worked to my advantage. And then um, I'd say probably going into high school, that's kind of when I knew that I was going to play in college and that's what I was going to strive to do. So I gotcha. So you get to upper Iowa um, and obviously like, like we've said a couple times now, you know, transitioning from small town to small town, not a huge deal. Like, you know how to, you know how it rolls with that. Um, you know, you mentioned that you, that's kind of when it clicked, like we can have some fun outdoors. It's, I mean, frankly, like Northeast Iowa is a beautiful part of the state. So it's not the worst part of the state to, to just live in and, and be able to drive around, but talk a little bit about when you have, because not everybody at Upper Iowa, you know, I'm a, I'm a good example. Jeremy's a good example. There's a lot of other good examples where kids come from bigger towns or everybody has their own backstory. Uh, so talk a little bit about you getting there, like getting to Fayette um, and obviously trying to fit in, trying to fit in with your teammates, trying to fit in with, you know, the 800 people that are on that campus um, and, and give a little insight as to like what that was like for you, especially that first year. Yeah. So, um, I'll talk about baseball first, just cause that's the first thing that comes to mind. But, um, I think this is another problem that a lot of ha- kids have going to college, especially from smaller schools is you're used to being the big dog in high school. When you go to a really small school and you're the best player on your team, you know, and this happens to kids at bigger from bigger schools too, but you get to college and you're like, Holy shit. Like these people are a lot better than what I am or just as good as what I am or so-and-so. Um, and I think something that it took me a few years to really realize like roles on a team. Um, and you have to just kind of fit the role. And sometimes you're not the number one guy for that role. And that's just something you kind of have to accept. Um, like coming in my freshman year, you know, seeing the guys there on the first couple of days, I'm like, I mean, Nick remembers some of the guys that are on that team, just behemoth of guys, just huge guys. <laughs> I'm like, Holy shit. Um, I was a little intimidated and, uh, was kind of like, it kind of hit me a couple weeks in. I was like, I might not play, like I might not play right away, which is what I want to do. Um, it didn't really shake out like that. I did play quite a bit my freshman year, but I got put into a role that I would, did not think I was going to be in. Um, most people don't know that I came to upper Iowa as a first baseman. I did not pitch really at all in high school or anything like that. Um, I did a little bit for my for my high school team, but like for my travel ball team where we were playing against better teams, I didn't pitch. Like I wasn't a pitcher. So I got thrown in a starting pitcher role as a freshman for Upper Iowa. I was starting games. <laughs> the first game I ever started was I think against Augustana, the number, you know, two ranked team in the country. So it was just a role that I, I was kinda like I don't even know really what to call it, but I was the guy that kinda went out there and ate up some innings for sure. Um, and that was a role that I had to swallow and do the best I could at. And I, you know, I did what I could and that I had the kind of the same role for the next year too, until it really changed. But that was probably the biggest thing, like starting in school is that you just kind of have to accept your role. And I think that's where you see a lot of kids quit in college is they're not okay with that role. And they're used to being the big dog and they just can't handle it. Um, but as far as like school wise goes, um, I was kind of a quiet quieter kid in high school so I was a little concerned about like you know making friends and stuff like that but I did realize pretty quickly like if you're on a sports team in college it's 
it's pretty easy to, you know, you have it pretty easy because you can get a get into a group of guys right away. Um, but yeah, I met some really great guys right away. I liked all my roommates and and really fit in pretty well as far as uh, like a social life. So, so Clayton, um, on the on State Street, sometimes we talk about people having uh, trouble figuring out what they want to do in college. Was that something you encountered or did you always know what your major was going to be and did you stick to that major? Um, yeah, that's a good question. I, I knew out of high school, I wanted to do something with numbers. I wasn't really sure what, but I was really into math. Um, so I started out just with a generic business degree. Didn't really know what I wanted to do. Um, got into some more math classes, really started to like it until I met calculus. (laughs) And then I uh, decided that math was not for me anymore. And I, uh, went full on business after that. So I stayed pretty much on track, I would say, throughout the four years. I didn't really do a whole lot of switching. Um, pretty close to what I what I thought I was going to do. So That's good, man, because I think you find either or. I think some folks, when they come in, I think they have a great understanding and they know exactly what they're doing. And then you got uh, individuals like myself who uh, were going to play sports and to meet people and, you know, whatever we ended up doing, we ended up doing. But uh, I just wanted to revert back and comment on that just because I had a similar experience uh, coming in my freshman year as well and just not necessarily knowing what your role is. And that can pertain to college athletics, that can pertain to life or, you know, your work. And obviously you have a pretty individual pursuit, which we'll get into later. But uh, yeah, and I think at that time, uh, and I only say this because I was a little bit of an older teammate to Clayton, uh, the leadership wasn't quite there. Uh, I think there was a little bit of misunderstanding on on maybe where everyone was supposed to be. But uh, it, could you add on anything on like how you maybe trusted the process and or got into like just accepting like, Hey, I'm starting games now as a pitcher. Here I am. Yeah. Um, it was definitely a, a kind of a shock to me because I even, you know, a couple weeks before the season started, I had no idea if I was going to play like at all, if I was going to travel or anything. Um, you know, and then I found myself on the bus right away and, you know, I'm, I'm sitting in the dugout and coach Ishii comes up to me and says, you know, you're going to start game two when we're in like the third inning of game one. And I'm like, I've never even played any, like I'd never even played before. I didn't, I didn't see it coming. Um, and Nick, you probably remember with that year, we struggled for pitching big time. We just didn't have very many pitchers at all. Um, which is why I started pitching in the first place is because issue was looking for anybody that had ever pitched in their life to, to give it a crack because we only had about, I don't know, nine guys on the roster that pitched. Um, but yeah, so like those first two years, really struggled big time and definitely was not ready to be put in those positions yet. Um, dealt with a couple minor injuries, which definitely didn't help things. But uh, I finally kind of got my groove my junior year, um, started pitching a lot. I was pitching, you know, one to two times a weekend, pitching on the midweek, really liking the role that I had, which is, you know, I was a reliever, which is a role I wasn't used to. But I really think I found something that I really enjoyed doing and that I was good at. So you know, it took a while and it wasn't the role I started out in, but that was ultimately like the whole goal of college baseball is to find a role that you're good at and that, um, you know, like other people can trust you to, to perform well in that role. I think Clayton's, uh, kind of underselling his role to, uh, to paint an outsider's perspective on what Clayton was is he was our stopper basically. So he would come <laughs> in 
and he would clean up the mess that the starting pitcher or the pitcher before would. And and he did a he did a pretty good job of that. And he he was like our, our one of our number one guys. We always called on to you know come clean up, come come help us out, or maybe even just like start a new inning fresh and keep uh keep the other team from scoring. Yeah, for sure. Um, it was it was it was a fun year. You know, we didn't perform the best, but um, I just had a really good time with a lot of the people on the team and. Um, I was playing more, so I enjoyed it a lot more. I was way more into the games than I ever was before. Um, and no, I, th- I wouldn't take that year back. Um, knowing, especially this year, no idea what would have happened. Um, got injured pretty bad in between the junior and senior year. So it took me pretty much an entire year of recovery to get back for the spring last year was had a ton of cortisone shots and just tried to kind of muscle my way there without getting surgery. So you know, I don't know what would have happened in that last year, so I am really glad that I had that junior year and found that role before I graduated. You know, Clayton, when I when I hear you talk, especially, you know, when Jeremy brings up, like, the role you had on the team, and I hear you talk about coming in as a freshman and not only being switched to a position that you really had no experience in to begin with, but also having a coach, a college coach, come to you and say – midway through the first game, hey, you're going to start game two. To me, what comes to mind is baptism by fire. And in order to get through that, you know, it takes an immense amount of mental strength, I think, because it's essentially, I mean, you know, as Jeremy put it, being a stopper, you have to come in and and that's what it is. You're coming in when it's a horrible situation. There may be no outs and there may be bases loaded. Um, And it's like, crap, how's Clayton going to get out of this? Or, you know, how like how many runs is Clayton going to give up before we get out of this? And that's not to say you're a bad pitcher. That's saying, you know, you got put in some pretty terrible situations. And that's not fun to be when it's not your fault to begin with. Um, so talk a little bit about mental strength when it comes to that. First off, being young in your college career and coming in, assuming a role that a lot of freshmen may really want if they have experience pitching. And so... I guess, yeah, talk about the experience of coming in, assuming a role that maybe a lot of people want and that, that obviously you want because you want to get on the field, but maybe not something you would be maybe the most comfortable with. Yeah, so I think that, um, you know, being comfortable in situations like that definitely came from those first two years um, because, you know, quite frankly, I was not comfortable those first two years being out there. Um, I just, I'm not sure really what it was, if it was part mental, part thinking I wasn't good enough, that type of thing. But um, it definitely helped me for that third year that um, once I went out there a couple times and had some good outings, like my confidence was so high that, you know, I didn't care what the situation was when I was going to come in. I was going to do the same thing every single time when I came in to pitch. Um, you know, it wasn't going to change. It didn't matter the situation. And when my mindset kind of switched to that, that it just it just started clicking. It was like, you know, you don't change anything. It doesn't matter if you're up by 20 or it's a one-run game with with three guys on. You just have to do the same thing. And I don't recall having really any, like, jitters or mental weaknesses that entire season. And, you know, it didn't always work out my way. There was definitely games where, you know, I gave up some runs or walked some guys or whatever, but my mindset never really changed throughout the whole year, which is why I think I um, did an okay job assuming that role, so... That's something that I think a lot of other people could, you know, 
piggyback off of it a little bit to where they could have sort of the same mindset and you could do that with any position in any sport you could you could do that in life i mean that's just how it works well and i wanted to say just really quick i mean i to to put it into basically like a a a simple term well i call that like the bulldog mentality i don't know if you've heard of that or you use that at all but like i call that the bulldog mentality it's simply like you got to get in there you got to get this like the job done it may not be pretty or like like one day it may be it may be pretty like you may put a bow on it and the next day it may be dirty like it may be muddy it may be the worst looking thing ever but like you get the job done and I mean like you said I think you put it beautifully I mean that can translate over to life too I mean we're gonna we're gonna get to it you know here in a second but you're starting your own business that's not the prettiest thing in the world either <laughs> um, you know do Nick and I talk a lot about it making a sales call and having that go bad you know it, it's not the prettiest thing ever you know especially if you're doing it. 60 80 100 times a day i mean not every single one of them is going to be clean cut polished you know looking good but getting through it doing the absolute best you can grinding through it sometimes i was, I, I hate the word grind but i mean sometimes that's that's <laughs> literally what it is it sucks and you, just, you you have to put on that that worker's cap and and just kind of get through things uh, nick i believe you had something for him though <clears throat> Yeah, just because we're on the topic, and Cole, make sure we stay uh, on coordination here, but I'm really curious, how much of that on-the-field mental toughness did you find trending over into early business pursuits when you probably had a bunch of college kids like, like, okay, yeah, I like the idea of starting a business. Like, that's cool, whatever. Yeah, I bet you probably won't. Like, you know, we all talk about it, but then you actually went out and did it. So how much of that mental toughness came from the field into business? I'm just curious. Yeah, that's, that's a really good question. Um, definitely a lot of it did. I think the biggest thing for, and when I'm speaking about Driftless, I'm going to try to incorporate as much as Jake's views without him saying anything. So I'm going to try to kind of speak for both of us, but obviously it'll be mostly from me. Um, a lot of people, I don't think really took it seriously right away. Like when we told people, which is fine. I mean, you don't have to, but I think a lot of people thought it was kind of a joke that we were like starting this thing up or whatever like a hundred percent serious from the start and we um like we were filing business permits and sales tax permits and filing certificate of organizations and like people thought this was a joke and like we were doing all this but as far as like mental toughness goes um i think it really started to take off for us when we just stopped caring what other people like thought Mm. like there comes a time where you just have to stop caring what other people think like you can you can value what other people tell you but you shouldn't have it really make the big decisions for you like that has to come from you and jake and i both i think did a pretty good job of we're just like you know what we don't really care what anyone else thinks like this is for us you know we're gonna make it happen and whoever wants to jump on the train can so that's that's kind of how we uh jumped into it i guess so Clayton, as a as a student athlete, how does that um, correlate with starting a business? Like, what extra steps need to go uh, be taken to start your own business as a student athlete? Because we uh we hear all the time about the NCA cracking down on people making money. Yeah, that was uh, one of Jake and I's biggest concerns when we started it. Was we knew that there were some problems with the NCAA. Um, so we went in right away. I think it was the first thing we ever did was we went in and talked to our compliance guy, um, which I think his name was Dwight at the time, but I'm not hundred percent sure about that. Um, and we basically told him what we wanted to do 
and he told it kind of told us how we could do it while getting around it um really the only thing that the ncaa has a problem with is using your name so we weren't really connecting our name to anything so that's kind of how we were able to do it um there's a lot of people that'll get in trouble by you know even if you put something on your website that says oh i went to upper iowa and played a sport that could get you in some trouble just because maybe maybe somebody would buy something just because of the fact that you played a sport at this school so we didn't include any of that in any of our you know marketing material or emails or anything like that so that's kind of how we stayed away from it but um it really started to become a lot um this past year as far as balancing things between finding time um because we did open a store in downtown Fayette so like managing that along with going to school and playing baseball was not easy but um Jake and I were able to kind of balance our schedules out and we even had some help from some other people too to kind of make it all happen. So really quick, I, I have a couple things. One, Clayton, I, I do have, I have a confession to make to you and, <laughs> and for everyone to hear. I was definitely one of those people that didn't take it serious. I can fully, I can put my hand up and I can, I can fully admit that. Um, and I love to hear you talk about all the stuff that, you know, you guys had to go through to get that set up. I love that because that is part of the process that it's part of the process just in business, but it's also part of your journey. And I think that's, I think that's something that's priceless. You that's, those are a lot of the things you don't see, you know, you see the, the stuff you guys put out, you guys see, you know, you guys actively selling stuff like whatever, you don't see all the filing, all the stuff you're putting in, you know, maybe when people are asleep or when people are in class or, at practice, wait, like whatever you guys are doing all that stuff in your free time, even too, I can imagine. Um, secondly, I do want to just introduce Jake Dale. Obviously Jake's not on the call, but he is, you know, the, the co-owner, co-founder, however you guys will, will want to term it, um, to this. And obviously, um, Dale, Jake Dale and, and Clayton here are, are they're really good buddies. So I want to just really quick do a little background on Dale um, talk a little bit about how you guys met and kind of bring us up to kind of where we are now today, just like you were. Yeah. So, um, I met Jake freshman year pretty much right away. Um, it's actually kind of a funny story. Um, he, I think was kind of sitting by himself at one of the events or something, um, not because he was lonely, but because <laughs> Mac Wolf decided not to show up on time for orientation. <laughs> so like his roommate wasn't there. So he hadn't like met anyone yet. That's kind of the first time I remember meeting Jake. Um, but immediately we just had like this connection where like we wanted to do like all these things outside. And I think we were fishing like within the first weekend at school together. So like we got super close as far as that goes. Um, and then we found out pretty quickly that we were both crazy and like we did a lot of crazy things. And that was what I think really kind of tied it together. It was like, okay, we are both insane and we we're doing like these crazy outdoor adventures. And, um, and that just kind of all led up to like when we started the business is, is because of that hundred percent that we just connected like that. And we were really the only two people that, you know, we knew that did stuff like that. So when I first met you guys, and I'm going to tie a couple things in, um, 
you guys definitely stood out to me as freshmen and or younger classmen because I could sense some of that stuff. Like for the listeners, these were two guys that like there was never not something going on, a challenge, uh, a different thing to mess around in, in a fun way. Like one of my favorite memories is when you guys stacked apples. Like we were at dinner <laughs> and like you guys just like randomly started putting apples on each other, but like actually got it to like five or six, I believe. Yeah, we did. Um, and another memory, Nick, I don't know if you remember this or not, but I know I sure do because I was very embarrassed and so I think so was Jake. Um, one night, I think you guys were coming back from the cafeteria. I think it was Nick, uh, Mitch Mosier, Colt Jansen, and maybe Jake Rico. <laughs> and Jake and I had read somewhere that you could um, collect acorns and you could like cook them and eat them. <laughs> <laughs> And so Jake and I were in the pitch dark out there collecting acorns and these guys walked by and they're like, like, what the hell are these guys doing? And you, I think you guys asked if we were looking for a cell phone or something and we just kind of played it <laughs> off and like we had our shirts just full of acorns, taking them back to the door. <laughs> so like, it was just, I don't know, it was a little embarrassing at times, but we, we just really liked doing crazy shit and <laughs> I'm sure you'll hear later that we, you know, we really did do some crazy stuff that there's probably not a lot of people out there that would do it. But yeah, we definitely always had something going on. We were always, um, you know, finding something that was pretty unique that not a lot of people did. Um, and we just, it was, it was addicting. We just kept doing it. So. Yeah. Cause I think that is what ultimately turned me on to know, like we talked a little bit about doing a, uh, a Saturday morning, you know, college game day, like burger where we would go to local restaurants and like eat that burger and test it out. Like, so when I heard that you guys were starting the business, like I was so rooting for you and I'm not just saying that cause like just to cheer the spirits up, but like, I feel like I fall into the crazy category a little bit. So when I was like, these guys are starting a business in college, like right on they're just fucking crazy enough to maybe pull this thing off so i know these other two guys got some good questions but that was just one thing when i first met you i was so pumped when you guys did take that leap to go for the business regardless of what people think is there are people that are still affected to that to this day you know and they're not going to go do a business because of those things and that's a very unique quality so ride that out but i'll let you guys go ahead with some of the questions here uh i don't really have a question but i i think i have a, a favorite clayton lieb jake dale moment so I think my senior, it was my senior year and me and Cole were living together in the basement and I come home one day and there's a, a, a crawfish, oh, <laughs> there's a crawfish walking out of Cole's room. So I'm like, what the fuck is the crawfish doing inside my house? I, so I call up Cole. I'm like, Hey, you got some like crawfish coming out of your room. It's like, well, okay. So he comes home and we start checking it out and. We pull back his covers and there's like three or four more crawfish <laughs> <laughs> in Cole's bed, like crawling around. And Lieber and Dale played it off for so long. Cole's Cole's calling people trying to figure out who did it, and they're just they're all laughing their ass off. And like <laughs> I I knew because I saw them put a Snapchat of like crayfish on their story, and they're they're playing Cole off, and Cole's just going uh going around in circles trying to figure out who put the crayfish in his bed. <laughs> yeah dude yeah that's, i do uh, remember that i i specifically remember i can't remember if it was you clayton or if it was jake one of you guys came in and talked to me and i, and I obviously was making sure i stayed upstairs while the other just dumped like all these crawfish <laughs> downstairs 
Um, yeah, that was definitely, that definitely caught me by surprise. Yeah, I, I do remember doing that. Um, I'm not sure why we picked your bed to be hundred percent honest with you, but, uh, I wasn't so sure that you had fully <laughs> recovered from that because I know you were pretty ticked off for a while. <laughs> oh, that was funny. That was funny. Looking back. I mean, that's, that's a good prank. No, but okay. So you guys are like, I mean, evidence right there. You guys are crazy, right? Yeah. So very crazy. And, and Nick, I think Nick said it, you know, best when, when, the idea was, or when I first heard of it, and obviously when a lot of people just in general heard about, you know, these guys on the baseball team are starting a, a business. Like, I mean, these two guys, if you know them, they are crazy enough to do it and like make it work and be good at it, be really successful at it. Right. Um, talk about what you talked about it j- just a little bit briefly, but I want you to expand a little bit on kind of what spawned the idea, where Driftless started and what, I mean, what Driftless is. I mean, this this thing is your baby. This thing is Jake's baby. Talk about what it is, what spawned it, and and what it's kind of started as and grown to be. Yeah, so it started out as um, we just really enjoyed kind of going on these crazy adventures that we were going on, and we wanted to share that with other people. Um we didn't really care at the beginning if we were going to make any money. That wasn't really the goal behind the whole thing. So we started out as Driftless Area Guide Company, which is what our first name was up until just a few months ago when we switched it. But that was really our main goal is we were going to take mostly Upper Iowa students was our target. We were going to you know, put up some flyers in the dorms and take these kids on, on trips, basically. Um, we found out pretty quickly that that was not really a great idea um but wanted to do what we were doing because it was pretty crazy so we quickly kind of shifted and we we'd always talked about getting some like merchandise and some hats and shirts or whatever so we started making hats and shirts and i remember the first time we had like had hats in stock we were sitting in my dorm room in lee towers and like orders were just coming in like crazy. Like we couldn't even keep, keep up with like how many people wanted a hat, which it was, it was really good because we were a part of, you know, a baseball team. So we had a lot of friends in school and they did a great job of supporting us right away or whatever. Um, and we kind of, kind of used that to start our business. So Jake and I each made one initial small investment to buy our first wave of hats. And since then, you know, the business has been self-sustaining. We haven't put any more money into the business we've been able to operate for, I don't know, we're coming up on two full years here um, just on that, you know, that first order of hats there. So we've grown it um, quite a bit. We, we recently changed our name. Like I said, it's Driftless Quality Wear now is our name. Um, we're pretty much all merchandise based right now. Um, we do do some trips. We've given trips. We have given trips before. We still do some of that, but that's not really our main focus anymore. Um, basically the best way to describe kind of our, um, like inventory and what we do is we like to describe it as a local Patagonia. That's kind of how we look at it. Um, we wanted to create a brand that was specific to like where we were exploring. So for people that don't know, the Driftless is actually a place like that's a geographical place that you can Google um, the Driftless is that beautiful section of Northeast Iowa. 
that's that's um, you know a corner of southwest Wisconsin and northwest Illinois and southeast Minnesota that makes up the driftless area. So that's kind of where we got our name, but it's super um, you know unique to the area. So that's kind of where we wanted to give it its own local touch. Um, we're not saying that you know we don't want the brand to go outside of that. We obviously do. But that's where we wanted to start from was we're going to target, you know, outdoorsy people in the Driftless region. Um, that's going to be our name. And and that's what we stuck with. And we've, um, you know, we're starting to kind of get outside of the Driftless as far as marketing, advertisement and, and that type of thing. We've been shipping orders out to Alaska and California and Canada and Arizona and I mean everywhere. So we're, we're, you know, we're starting to kind of get out of that region now that we've established ourselves pretty well there. Uh, but yeah, we're just, we're continuing to grow. Um, we continue to, you know, meet our goals that we have every month. And we recently have started to supply stores in the Driftless with our brand. So we're, I don't, I think we're up to six stores now that we have our stuff in. Um, and we're just, you know, constantly looking to expand and make our business um, available to, you know, all different aspects. So talk a little bit about how you did that too, because if I remember right, and and I could be completely wrong, so please tell me if I am. Um, I mean, would you guys go to like trade shows and stuff? Is that how you got your product in front of people? Uh, what kind of marketing strategy, strategies were you able to use as full-time student athletes still trying to make this self, this thing self-sustain um, and, and really get it off the ground? Yeah, you're 100% right. Um, so we've learned a lot about retail and a lot about um, branding throughout this whole thing. And the number one way to to sell your product is you have to get eyes on it. That's you just have to. That that goes with any retail product. Um, so a really easy way to do that is to go to these shows. So that's what we started out doing. Um, we got a lot of weekends off as far as baseball, so that was really the only time we could go do things. So we would sign up for these shows. Um, you know, we, the first one we ever went to, I remember was I think in new Alban, Iowa, and we paid like $15 to go to the show and we showed up and we didn't even have a tablecloth. We had like four <laughs> hats and two stickers we threw on the table for like this Christmas market or something like that. And I, I think I remember we sold like two or three hats and we were just like so happy on the way home. Like <laughs> somebody we didn't know bought a hat and like, we were super pumped up about it. Um, and just to see like where we're at now, like we still do those shows because it is a really good way to market your product. Like now we have, you know, an entire truckload of stuff going and it takes us an hour to set everything up. And, you know, we're shooting for the thousands of dollars range, um, and sales for these shows. So like, it's just amazing to see where, you know, where we came from just two years ago to, to where we're at now. Um, but there are some different ways that we kind of marketed our products, um, at this day and age, social media is a huge platform for a lot of different things for businesses. So we definitely took advantage of that. We've um, grown our Instagram account from, you know, just a couple buddies following it. We just hit 2,000 followers a couple weeks ago. We got our website up and running in January of 19. We just hit 20,000 page views on that. Um, you know, Twitter account, Facebook account has close to 1,000 followers. So we're just we're just continuing to grow our, our um, social media presence as well and our website too. Um, uh, that's one of the best ways that we did it, especially because we were in school. 
So we didn't have a lot of time okay. to really do stuff. So we had to rely on social media. Um, but yeah, so that's just kind of how we did it in school. And it really hasn't changed that much now that we're out of school either. For those of you guys that are kayaking down and under the bridge going to State Street, kick those feet up and keep going down. We're going to be finishing up on some really high notes here. Um, <clears throat> so Clay, two things that I wanted to touch on and, and I think the tenacity is probably the best word to use with you guys because we would joke around and say, hey, man, what are you doing this weekend? And, and you know, you guys would genuinely be like, hey, we're going this weekend to a trade like we're going to do this. And, you know, we'd be like, oh, man, we want you to hang around and, you know, hang out with us. And I'm sure you really wanted to at the time, but you guys committed to this thing. And I think that's why I had such a respect for you because you did take it serious. So uh, just talk a little bit about that for any of the viewers that are thinking about starting a business and and just talk about the the grind and the word that Cole hates so much, because that does take some tenacity and it does take some time commitment. So just talk there and then I'll, I'll bring in the second piece. Yeah. Um, for anybody that's thinking about you know, starting a new business or, you know, starting their own, their own monsters, we like to say, um, a lot of people don't do it because they're a scared or B don't think that anyone's going to care really, or like what they have to offer. Um, and you know, you just have to try it to know there's really no way you can, you know, if something's going to be successful or not. Um, but I mean, there's so much information that, is out there for you if you're thinking about starting your own thing. I mean, the internet is full of resources to where you can you can find out anything. And in this day and age, you could literally have a business for anything you could possibly want. So it's not very limited. Um, you know, as far as like advice for people starting out, I would definitely talk to someone who has their own business. Um, being in school at the time when we started it, we had a lot of really good resources with business professors that we were able to go to that could, you know, really explain the process and tell us how we needed to set it up and what the best way to set it up was. So that, that'd be my, really the only major piece of advice is talk to somebody first before you, before you really get into it. Yeah. Lee brings up a, a really good point about, you know, going to people who have experience in the field, like us as a podcast are, we're our own business, quote unquote, where we have reached out and you know you looked look around all right who who's knowledgeable who who knows what's going on and i've been on a couple other podcasts where these dudes like know what they're doing and, and it was really insightful for me to learn how to you know edit a podcast how to make it sound like we're not idiots just talking into a microphone half the time. <laughs> so yeah when you're starting something up make sure you consult like uh, an expert basically yeah, I'm gonna carry that uh, carry that through. So, Clay, my second question, and you'll understand where I'm coming with this. So, when we first started this, and we were talking off air, our evolution of the podcast itself was a very interesting beast. We started out crappy couple trial runs. We were very grateful for those people that listened in and gave us feedback. And we knew it was kind of like, ah, this is, you know, we got to work through some of this stuff. And it's been so cool for us to see our quote unquote business and or podcast evolve. Talk a little bit on how you have seen that evolution for your guys' company. Yeah, I think one of the things I always talk about and think about is growth is addicting. So when you can see growth and progress, that's only going to drive you to to keep, you know, making your goals higher. 
and shooting for the stars because I really do think it's addictive. And I think that's one of the things that Jake and I look at is like, okay, you know, we we're here and this is where we think we can get. And then when that time comes, we're like twice as high as we thought we'd be. (laughs) It's just like, it just, it just motivates us big time to, you know, strive even higher. Um, and as far as like what, when we've come, it's, it's really cool when we see like Instagram accounts or Facebook accounts you know, like tagging us and like they're wearing our stuff and we have no idea who they are or like, you know, we're getting emails from people that want us to, you know, sponsor their fundraiser. We've sponsored um, a couple really cool events. We've been sponsors for a couple podcasts, a couple YouTube channels. Like people are reaching out to us to, to be those people that, you know, a year and a half ago, we were the ones reaching out, trying to get like help and, you know, that type of thing to where now we're on the other end, you know, we're getting these requests. We're getting, we were interviewed from the paper a couple times last year. We've, you know, that type of thing. So that, that's pretty cool to see that. Um, and you know, we're in year two. So like, you know, what's going to happen in year five in year 10 in year 20. So that's just something that, you know, you can't, you don't really know what's going to happen, but that's what it's going to be. Cole, hold on real quick before you ask your question. I'm just going to, I'm going to put the icing on the cake here, but I think it's cool. You know, people can say what they want to want to say about business, but to get the notoriety in the paper in order to get to where you are, you had to go through those weekends of grinding, right? That's where, you know, it's easy to, to take the satisfaction of being like, oh yeah, I was with you the whole time. Or, oh, I totally thought it was a good idea. It's like, I think that opinion changed over time when you saw us actually continue to persist and continue to grind and and make it something great. So uh, I'll kick it over to you though, Cole. Well, one thing I want to talk about is that evolution piece itself. And I think you guys were interviewed in the paper because of this, but opening up like the Driftless store, the little pop-up shop you guys did get to open in town. Talk a little bit about that kind of where the excitement built, um, for Driftless and, and what that really meant for you guys. Yeah, the store was a huge piece for us. Um, kind of crazy story on how it came to be. Jake and I were kind of talking about it the spring before, and we knew that there was a building on Main Street that was unoccupied and was owned by the city. So we contacted the mayor, Mayor Wenthe, and said, hey, like, nobody's in this building. Like, we go to school here, we have our own business, you know, what's it going to take for us to to get in this building for a price that works for us because we're college kids and we don't have a lot of money and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and uh, he was super down for it. And we ended up getting a, I mean, almost got the place for free, basically, is what it worked out to be. So, you know, we got a, it is Fayette, Iowa, yes, but we did get a Main Street storefront for almost nothing um, in a college town that gets some people on the weekend. So we were super excited to, to open it up and, you know, show our brand to the area. Um, and I think a lot of people, and this really irritates me, um, a lot of people come from areas or live in areas that they label as like a shit show or like this place has nothing to do or like, you know, that type of thing. To where it's like, well, fucking do something about it. Like, mm-hmm. if you're going to live there and you're going to bitch about it and you don't have to start a business, you can, you know, spend your money in your town. The The number one thing that drives people to towns is jobs. How do you create more jobs? Your businesses in town have to grow. How do they grow? People spend more money at them. If you can spend your money in your communities, it's amazing to see where, you know, your town can go. 
So that's that's one of the biggest things is, you know, we didn't end up in Fayette and I don't think we'll end up back in Fayette. But there's a lot of areas like that that, you know, if you have the right mindset and the right people set there, there can be some big time growth. So, you know, I do think Fayette has some has some room for some big time potential. They've got some great assets in that town. But we, you know, we just got a little three month glimpse at that. Um, and it kind of told us that, you know, down the road when we hit the point we want to hit, we do want to open up a store in, you know, an area like that to where, you know, we can make an impact and drive, you know, economic development in the area. So that was something that really stuck out to us for sure. Dude, I admire that. And I, it's kind of, it's kind of funny to like to hear you say that just because of the times that we're living in, obviously with coronavirus and like everything going on, people being stuck at home shopping, you know, for sure has gone like online and I would hate to see this thing make it all go online. Obviously, you guys, I think, have a great online presence. You know, you talked off air even about how you have the inventory literally at your house. Like you are doing most of the shipping. Um, so clearly you guys are like keeping that as as mainstream and as steady flowing as possible. But I think especially with a company like Driftless, having that brick and mortar and allowing people to be able to come in store and especially talk to you, Clayton, talk to Dale about all this stuff, what it really means, what the Driftless is. If people don't listen to the state street podcast and find out. Um, but I also want to talk a little bit, um, about a little side hustle you have and then get back to Driftless where you guys are at, um, and touch a little bit more on where you guys want to get going. So you do have a little bit of a side hustle outside of Driftless kind of a cool little side hustle that I think, as far as I know, you started yourself. Um, I'm going to let you go ahead and, and introduce it and talk on it a little bit. So go ahead. <laughs> yeah, I I do kind of have a side hustle. I'm not as into it anymore as I was before the whole Driftless thing happened, but um, it all really started out in, I want to say, junior high. I started going, I got really into minor league baseball, super into minor league baseball. And I had a lot of teams that were really close to where I lived within a few hours. So I started, some people call it autograph hounding, but I was, uh, you know, pestering players for autographs. And <laughs> at the time, I didn't care about money or anything. I was in junior high. I just thought having autographs was cool. Um, but I got to the point to where, you know, myself and a few more of my friends were following prospects like every game that they played. And we were, you know, racking up all these autographs. And I got to the point where I noticed that a lot of minor league players didn't have anything to sign because they weren't, you know, nobody knew who they were. So I started making my own baseball cards, which was kind of crazy. Um, and I spent a lot of time doing that. And I was following these players to the games and literally selling them their own baseball cards or selling <laughs> them to other people that were there. Um, and I got to meet some really cool people through it too. So like, um, I made cards for Jock Peterson. I was, you know, talking to Jock Peterson for a while and, um, Byron Buxton and, you know, just a lot of really cool prospects that, that I made cards for. And actually it's kind of a funny story too. Um, I had a, uh, eBay store, so I was selling a lot of cards on eBay and I had one card that I'd gotten, I think my sophomore year in college that I had never really seen before. It was a it was a new card and it was glow in the dark. 
and it was Bitcoin was the the picture on the card was Bitcoin and it was like Bitcoin's rookie card um, per se. So I wanted nothing to do with it. So I, I listed it on eBay for a ridiculously high price <laughs> and I got an got an offer that same day of like seven hundred and fifty dollars for it. That I, <laughs> yeah, I had paid like paid like two dollars for this pack of baseball cards. Um, and I didn't take the seven fifty because I listed it at twenty two hundred dollars. Um, and it was the first day. It was the first day, so I didn't take it. Um, and after that, a few more got added to eBay, and I was like, "Oh crap! Like I better sell this." So I did sell it for I think it was like six hundred and fifty dollars or something like that. But that money ended up being like my initial investment in Driftless. So like it kind of transitioned into Driftless was me selling that baseball card. But um, yeah, I still kind of do it a little bit. I have some Instagram accounts that I don't really manage anymore, but. That was kind of how I first got into, you know, like selling stuff and having something that was mine, basically. So when you say, Clayton, that you were following these prospects, you were literally driving hours to games just to see these guys, sell them their own cards, get autographs, and hopefully sell a few to, like, people in the stands. Am I right on that? Yeah, that's correct. We... Um, Quad Cities was one of the main places we went. Um, Astros had a great farm system coming up, so that's where a lot of the prospects were at. Um, you know, Alex Bregman was there, and Carlos Correa was there, George Springer. So we were going there almost every night, um, me and a couple of my friends. Um, then Beloit, Wisconsin is like an hour and a half from me, so they're an Oakland A's um, affiliate. Uh, the Clinton Lumber Kings aren't very far. They're a Mariners affiliate. So I had like all these teams. So we would plan routes actually to where we could hit more than one stadium in a night. So we would get to like, you know, Davenport for the Quad Cities pregame. We could meet with a couple of players. And a lot of the times I had already contacted the players and they knew I was coming. So like they were meeting me at the dugout, like, you know, handshake and whatever. Like they knew I was coming. Yeah. And the cool, the best part about it is once you make these connections with these guys at low way, because that's the Midwest League is low A. So that's where like most of the players we were going to see. When they would make it to like double and triple A, they were like sending me tickets to like go see them play. So I made a couple spontaneous trips to like Mississippi two summers ago <laughs> to see a guy that I hadn't seen in like three years play in a double A game. And he hooked me up with tickets. And so like it was really cool some of the relationships that I made through it. But no, Cole, that's exactly right. Like I was literally following them, driving to all their games and you know, maybe selling a few in the stands to pay for my ticket and my gas, but that's basically what I did. Yeah. Hey, so it's just, it's so funny how, how small the world is and, and how that all comes together. So obviously, um, Kaylee was our last guest, our first female guest, and she worked for the quad city river bandits. So, I mean, who knows, like you may have crossed paths there. You had, you had <laughs> no idea whatsoever, but dude, like that I think is, is something so cool because like you said, I mean, if nothing else, you're getting one, you're getting great stories. You're getting to do a lot of road tripping, see a lot of America, which is just a lot of fun. You're getting to learn the art of selling too, which I mean, is valuable even past baseball cards, past driftless. I mean, once you're you're 50, 60 years old, I mean, that stuff is still super super important. Um, but also, I mean, the fact that you still get to be around the game you love, you get a meet some pretty cool people, obviously Jock Peterson and, and, you know, other, the other guys you named it's, it, it, I mean, 
it's a cool little side hustle. And I think that's one of the most interesting things about you is you have all these interesting little side hustles that build skills that are going to last you like such a lifetime. And I think that's what makes you, you know, we said at the beginning, that's what makes you one of the most diverse people we know. And, and that's what makes you super unique to, you know, any guests that we've had come on before. Yeah, I think it's definitely probably prepped me for the real world just with all of the different things that I've done. Um, but you know, I don't think I'd go back and change anything just because I don't think it really hurts to, you know, have like a broad view of a bunch of different, um, things in life. So I don't, you know, I don't think I would have changed anything, but, um, you know, each thing that I did kind of had like a little piece in, in the final product. So, well, just because we're on the topic, man, I uh, I want to make sure we squeeze this in the podcast because this this was one of the more impressive outside of business endeavors that you've ever gone on. But so I've known you and Jake for uh, for a little bit now, and obviously we are college teammates. But you guys decided to uh, was it a twenty four hour or forty eight hour trip just on the river, and uh, you know you camped out there and you ate out there and. You know, to, to most people, that trip's probably ridiculous. You know, they're, they're probably not even thinking there's no way I'm going to go and just straight up kayak the Volga River, uh, if, if that is the correct river. Um, but uh, just shed a little bit of light on that because I think that's kind of a fun outside story just because we're on these side endeavors and, and some of these fun skills that you get to bring to the business world. Yeah, I could... I could talk all day about that trip because I enjoyed it so much, but I'll, I'll just give you guys like a quick wrap on it. Um, so it was kind of through the business. Like we used it kind of as a marketing tool, just that like kind of who we were and what we kind of things we like to do. But, um, originally it all started when we were going over some trout maps and we were kind of seeing like where we wanted to fish and we could see, you know, like the river and how long it was. And we joked about, you know, how crazy would it be if we did the whole river without getting off the river? Like we just did it in one, in one go. Um, kind of joked about it for a while. And then when fall, um, fall break came up of last year, we're like, you know, if we're going to do it, we have to do it now because we need days to complete this. Like there's no other time we're gonna be able to do this. So we got really lucky, had a lot of rain right before, which brought the river up, which is pretty low. Usually at that time of year, it was October. So it's getting pretty cold at night, um, which we were a little (laughs) concerned about. So we got on Amazon, ordered some zero degree sleeping bags, you know, a couple extra things we were going to need. And as soon as fall break hit, we hopped in our kayaks in Maynard, um, which is where the river is like five feet across, maybe. I mean, it's really, really small. And we said, you know, we're going to go to the Mississippi River and we're not going to stop until we get there, no matter how long it takes. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we went, we, we slept on the side of the river, sketchy a couple times. Um, one night stands out where we were hammocking in some random forest on the side of the river and uh jake and i both woke up at like four in the morning to lights like coming at us in the middle of the woods we didn't know where we were at and we were like freaking out or like we don't know who this is we know we're probably not supposed to be where we're at um you know we thought maybe it was okay to sleep there but we weren't sure um and like the lights just kept getting closer and we like hid behind a tree, but our hammocks were still strung up and it was a hunter and he had a gun on him and we were like really scared to say something because we didn't want him to freak out, you know, and, and accidentally shoot because you're not expecting to see two people in the pitch black at four o'clock in the morning when you're going to your tree stand. 
so we were really nervous to even like say anything because we didn't want to scare you know scare him um but we did say something and talked to him for a little bit kind of found out we weren't supposed to be there <laughs> so you know we we packed up and kept going but it was a really fun trip we we did the entire Volga River, um, which then empties into the Turkey River and brings you down to the Mississippi River. Um, took us about three and a half days. We spent three nights out in 20 degree weather, um, very cold. But we, <laughs> we uh, yeah, we finished the whole river. Did I think it was 20 miles in the Turkey, and then ended up in the Big Mississippi and you know pulled our kayaks out and went and had a beer and went home. So. It, it was a it was a pretty good trip that we'd been talking about for a while, and I remember on the way home we were already talking about okay we got to do something bigger than this so like what's the <laughs> next what's the next river we can do that's like twice as long as this. <laughs> so that ties in perfectly kind of to to my next question then Clayton you know obviously that is a very very unique marketing tool that that you guys put in place and obviously the store was was a huge step for you guys, just as far as like a business operations, um, standpoint would, would go about itself. So talk then, you know, where are you guys at today? You know, you touched, you touched on a little bit already, but where are you guys at? Um, and what, what's kind of lying ahead? Maybe some things you guys are thinking about doing some things that are already in the works. If you can leak it or, you know, tell mm-hmm. us, obviously I don't want to, I don't want you guys to divulge everything you have planned. Keep a little bit of a surprise for us. But whatever you can tell us, um, yeah, dude, I want to, we want to hear all about it. Yeah. So, um, we just got done with our, our father's day sale, which was our second year of having that. And I think it was probably the best week of sales we've ever had. So like right now we're at like a high, like we're, you know, right where we want to be. So that's really exciting. We've recently, you know, we've got some people that are wearing our stuff around that are pretty big name people. Um, Josie Jules, a linebacker for the Denver Broncos. He's from Decora. He's got a whole, you know, he's got a whole box full of our stuff that he wears around up there. Um, we actually have a guy that won master chef for, uh, Gordon Ramsey has one of our hats. Where is it around the, the head softball coach at Alabama has one of our hats. Where's it? Around? It's like, yeah. there's some people that are, you know, like kind of wearing our stuff around, which is pretty sweet. But as far as, you know, where we're trying to go, um, we do want to have, you know, a store front of some type in the near future. Um, doing that kind of requires Jake and I to be in the same place. So we're mm. still kind of figuring out our professional lives too. Um, right now Driftless is a, you know, it's a side hustle, but it's a, it's a big side hustle. It's a lot of time commitment for it. Um, and we're hoping, you know, in the next few years that, we can sit down and kind of run the numbers and be like, okay, I think we're at the point where this can be it. Like, this is what we're going to do. We're going to, you know, make enough money to be happy to, you know, live off of, and this can be our full-time gig. And then we can really see where the potential will be um, once we're 100% into it. But we're definitely not slowing down. Um, We're constantly coming out with new stuff. We'll be actually coming out with some new shirts, if not, this week, probably next week, we got some new stuff coming out. So, um, yeah, I mean, pretty much we're going to keep doing what we're doing, have a big website presence and get into some more stores. But the end all goal will be, this is going to be a full-time thing and we're going to have a, a big store with our, you know, our warehouse and distributing center and everything. So that's kind of the, the end all goal for the, for the whole business. So Clayton, let me ask you then if, if I'm someone that 
I have this awesome idea, whether it's whether it's a, a quality clothing line or it's some new invention that, that I want to throw out in the marketplace and see what kind of reaction I get and ultimately, obviously, start my own business. What, what would be some things that you would tell me that are going to be super key to, one, get it up and running, and then, two, make it work and sustain itself, just like you and Jake have done with Driftless? That's a good question. Um, I think one of the biggest assets people have and they don't realize is friends and family can be a huge bonus for starting anything. Um, that's going to be your first, you know, your first followers, probably your first sales. A lot of firsts are going to come from that family and friends. So one of the biggest things I would try to do is keep reminding people that are close to you that they don't have to buy something from you to help expand your business. There's a lot of other ways that they can contribute to your business. So like, you know, sharing stuff on social media, you know, maybe somebody else sees that and that leads to a sale or leaving a review on Google or Facebook or talking about it to someone. A lot of people think that they have to support by buying things. That's not true at all. There's a lot of different ways you can do that. So I would use that asset for sure to get started. Um, as far as, you know, coming out with something that you want other people to to want i definitely think you need to get eyes on it somehow so you know it might not be the best way like you know trade shows for us probably aren't what a lot of other big clothing companies are doing they just don't do that but they have the presence already they don't need to do that so that's something that we had to adapt to you know like it's not really what we should be doing but it is a way to see a lot of people and for a lot of people to see our products so i would try to find a way that you know, it might not be what a lot of people in the industry are doing, but it's a way that might make sense if that, if that makes sense at all. No, that, that, that absolutely makes sense. And I think, I think there's a lot of info. I think there's a lot of value in everything you just said. I mean, I think adaptability is, is totally key, especially when you're starting business. I mean, there is no cookie cutter way to start a business run the business and make it successful. I mean, it is truly, you have to pave your own path and then you have to continue on that um, while continuing to think this is going to work. It's going to take time. There's perseverance involved. There's going to be a lot of people that doubt us or don't take us serious. But um, that it, the mental fortitude to continue to chug along, continue to come up with new ideas, new products, new ways to market yourself. I mean, dude, I think right there, I mean, that that covers it, you know, not all, but that covers a lot of it. And I think the way that that you guys have went about it. Obviously the way that we've gone about this podcast, there's just, there's so many different ways to a quote unquote business that, you know, what is going to be started up by anyone. Cole, I'm actually going to go with you on this. So Clayton, would you agree? And with our podcast as well too, like how much do you learn from the trial and error process? Like if you could listen to us and, or buy your first hat, which I do have, and it will sell for millions of dollars someday. <laughs> um, but like the trial and error process of starting something, but yet you have to stay committed and consistent with constant output. Yeah, Nick, I was actually thinking about that even before you said anything, when Cole was talking, I think that that is very important to starting anything is you're going to have to go through some trial and error. And the thing that scares a lot of people is a lot of times that means there's money involved. You're going to have to risk money to make money. That's just how it works. So, you know, you're going to have to spend money to test things and you might not see a result on the other end right away, 
but that's just part of the process. You just have to do that. And you're never truly going to know what works and what doesn't work unless you do try that. So I think that's super, super important that you sometimes you just can't be scared to spend some money to try something that you think might have some potential, but you're not sure. Um, that's just that's just part of business. That's part of part of almost every aspect of it. Yeah, because when we initially thought about doing this, like literally me and Cole were just talking on a Sunday basis about like our lives. And like we literally were just like, dude, like what if we started a podcast? And then he was crazy enough to be like, yeah, actually that, you know, that makes sense. So, (laughs) you know, that's, that's all it really needs to be. I mean, obviously we put a lot of work into that, but I want to also, before we start wrapping things up here, I want to throw Jake back in just because obviously he's not here, but I want him to have some good presence on this because he's a freaking hell of a dude, a hell of a story too. But uh, how has he helped your business? And like, how do you guys ebb and flow? Cause like we have a certain ebb and flow with our podcast, but I'm curious how Jake uh, comes into play there. Yeah, we actually make a really good team um, with both of our backgrounds. So um, for those you don't know, Jake's an environmental science major. So like he's big into, you know, the outdoors and conservation and that type of thing to where I was very business backed. So we have a pretty good mix there, especially for what our business is. Um, And something that Jake and I have talked about um, as of lately is that Eventually, we want to get to the point to where we are giving back to the environment to where we have a, you know, incentive for, you know, a a percentage of our sales will go to a certain organization or that type of thing. So Jake does bring a really good grasp on that type of stuff because he is way more involved with, um, you know, those type of agencies and stuff that I'm not as involved with. I'm more of the business minded guy. Um, But no, he's been a really, really good um, partner to work with these last two years. Um, just, you know, with everything that we do, I mean, we, we constantly are talking to each other on the phone, scheming things late night, you know, phone calls and text messages. And no, he's, he's really, really good at it. And, um, I look forward to, you know, seeing what we can keep coming up with. No doubt, man, because it does take obviously a level of commitment for you guys to both go in on this and get it to where it has. But, uh, if there's anything, uh, that I would like to portray before I kick it over to Cole is, uh, I just, I love how you guys have gone through with it, man. Like you guys have done it. You're doing it currently and you have a really good potential freaking platform to take this thing off. So, uh, Cole, go ahead and, and, uh, I'll give it to you here. Yeah. Um, so one thing, well, we are, we are going to wrap it up here soon just for, for everybody that's listening. Um, just so you know, I, I want to talk about just kind of Clayton, where you're at, obviously with like coronavirus hitting, um, what it was like just for you personally and, and kind of what you've been up to. And then also business wise, what it's looked like, if it's changed much at all or, or how it has changed things. And, um, I do want to briefly touch on kind of getting past coronavirus, obviously your professional career other than Driftless, what that's going to look like a little bit. Obviously, uh, we're going to talk about it, but you've just started a new job. So that's pretty exciting. Uh, So what has coronavirus looked for you personally? Just like doing stuff, obviously being out in the outdoors is kind of at your own leisure really with coronavirus, but then also what does it look like for Driftless? Yeah. So, um, when Corona hit, um, you know, pretty much everybody's schools shut down and baseball was done and everything. And I kind of had a weird circumstance my last semester of college. I actually wasn't taking any classes at all. 
Um, I had finished my degrees and kind of found a loophole to stay eligible without taking any classes. So I actually had a job. I had a a tax job um, and I was doing tax returns pretty much 40 hours a week. So I was working full time and, you know, playing baseball and, and running driftless. And I really wasn't doing any school. So once I had found out that school was done, I was kind of excited about it because I meant I was done basically like, you know, I was pretty much done with school. So that was pretty exciting. So I ended up staying in Fayette until the end of tax season, which they extended the deadline, but I left about April 15th. Um, and it was really nice because I would go to work every day and I worked in Wadena, which was only like 10 minutes from Fayette, but there was a lot of fishing around that area. So every single day I got done and I would fish and that's what I did every day because I was pretty much in Fayette, um, with just a couple guys were left, pretty much everyone had gone home, but I was still out there for work. Um, so there was a few guys left, but I did a lot of fishing, loved it. Um, came home and was kind of on the job hunt right away. I knew I wanted something, um, got a really good opportunity with an, an auditing firm that I got offered a job, right? My first interview got offered the job, took it. Um, you know, having that tax experience, just months before was really, really key for it, I think, um, because my firm now does a lot of tax work in the spring. But so I was pretty excited. I had a job lined up before I had graduated. So I was, you know, that was one of my goals. Um, and yeah, it's, it's gone really well so far for, for my personal life. I'm living at home, looking to move here within the next month. So some big things happening, but, um, as far as driftless with the Corona impact, um, it did, kind of hurt us a little bit right away um as of lately we really haven't seen the effects just because um the online presence has really picked up a lot of people are shopping online right now so you know we've been on the receiving end of that definitely we've seen a big spike but we did sign up for a ton of shows this summer that have been canceled um unfortunately and we were also signed up for two night markets so Night markets are really, really cool. We signed up for two of them. One was in Dubuque and the other was in Viroqua, Wisconsin. And basically it's like a super young crowd that goes to these markets and there's live music and local beers and some really cool vendors. So we were super, super excited to do some of that. And those were once a month. So those have all been getting canceled and that was a big commitment we were ready to make and, you know, a lot of money there too. So that's really the only thing that's affected us. Um, We're starting to kind of see those open up. We have a big show plan for fourth of july weekend so that's going to be really our first one back um so we're pretty excited about that but um you know we got kind of lucky because we had an, an e-commerce platform to where we weren't really affected that badly by it dude i think that's awesome i also think i i also think the level of commitment that you guys have is, is super admirable you know that's one thing that the three of us we haven't talked explicitly about but a lot of times off air we're talking about you know, how real, how really committed are we to this? And, you know, Nick, I think puts it beautifully, you know, he signed a two-year contract. I mean, for everyone listening, we did not sign any sort of contract, but Nick <laughs> says he signed a two-year contract to this. And I think it's really cool to see kind of where you guys are at clay is you guys are at like that two-year mark. And it's cool to see like the growth and how one thing leads to another. And it, it literally like will skyrocket you one little step puts you on the moon. I mean, to, to put it, you know, not to, not to put it too lightly or, 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 you know, exaggerate a little too much. Um, but dude, as far as like professional career outside of driftless, um, auditing tax careers, that's somewhere you, you think you want to stay. Obviously you would love for driftless to take off. And, and like you've said, said earlier, make that 
your source of income, but um, do you feel like that is a strength of yours? That's kind of uh, where you fit into the whole the whole piece of the world, I guess. Yeah, um, I've always wanted to have. I've always wanted to be my own boss. That's always what I wanted to do is be in control of everything. Um, so I'm content where I'm at right now. I do like my job a lot. Um, definitely don't think I'll be doing that the rest of my life. Um, you know, if Driftless has the opportunity to be my career, I, I will never turn that down. I, I don't think there's a dollar amount out there that I would, that I would take over that just because, you know, this is our monster that we created and to finally see it be somewhere that we've envisioned it would be something that I would, I would have to take and that I wouldn't regret it at all. So no, I'm happy where I'm at right now. I really do like, like the career field that I've chosen. Um, you know, and if things don't work out with Driftless, then I think I'd be pretty happy where I'm at. Um, but you know, I've got family members that they've got their own thing and that's just something I've always wanted to do was, you know, be my own boss and, I really like controlling things the way I want them to be done. So that mm-hmm. that's kind of where I want to be. Well, dude, I, uh, I, I got four quick hitting questions for you. Um, but first of all, I want to say like, just to wrap things up, dude, thank you so much for coming on because this has been like one of the most professional episodes I think we've done. I mean, you have such a business acumen and I like to be completely honest with you. I envy that because you are so well-versed in a lot of areas of business and just being a professional, how to approach, um, high pressure situations, especially like we talked about earlier and, and you have seen, and I've seen through you how those two things correlate. And obviously it's coming to fruition with a really successful business that I think one day you are going to get to be your own boss, man. And that's going to be really exciting to follow. And, um, you know, I can't wait to to follow the Driftless story and and like and wear merch. You know, I gotta I gotta get my Driftless hat or <laughs> or sticker or whatever, dude. I got some stickers on the back of my laptop here, but I need to get myself a hat. <laughs> no, I appreciate you guys having me on. And if you guys, you know, get anybody that is thinking about starting, you know, their own business or wants some insight, even if it's not the same industry, um, you know, get a hold of those guys and they can get a hold of me, and I'd be happy to to help anyone, um, that's, you know, got some questions or wants to kind of know what to do next. I have no problem helping with that kind of thing. So sweet. Well, Hey, I got these four questions for you. So if you're ready, I'm going to throw them at you. Bring it on. Okay. What's harder starting a business or coming back from a three Oh, uh, deficit as a pitcher. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's, that's a really good question. Um, I might have to go starting your own business there. Yeah, that's tough. <laughs> that's really tough. <laughs> um, well, man, what's the most what's the most memorable part of your playing career? Now that you've graduated, you've hung up the cleats. What is what's the most memorable part for you? Um, not you know, not a huge thing, but uh, my my most memorable thing was at Crookston. Um, first time I was really put in a big spot, and um, I think we were in extra innings, and I came in and struck out the side and got my first college win and it was just kind of like some pressure off my shoulders a little bit it's like you know that that was probably the best feeling I had um just from like an individual standpoint um and I I don't think it was so much the game that gave me that feeling but it was like the trust from my teammates after that game that really makes it stick is that like I got like a whole new respect from like my teammates and my coaching staff and I think that's what 
really sticks the most. So that's awesome. Um, if you could only fish or hike one of the two for the rest of your life, what are you choosing? Uh, and you don't get a hike on your fishing trip. Like the okay. fish, like the pond is like right off the, right off the street or something. Oh, that's really tough. I'd probably take hike. Um, I've fished a lot more in my day than I have hiked and there's a lot of places I want to go see yet. So I'd probably go with hike there. <laughs> All right. Last one I got for you, man. What, um, for, for anyone that does listen to this, obviously you are a wealth of knowledge. And if I have anyone reach out to me, I'm going to direct them directly towards you and Jake. I know these two guys are going to do the same thing, but as far as like some content, maybe a book you've read, a podcast you've listened to, um, a video, you, video you've watched, what, what's something that people could go search out, watch, um, to maybe get some in- inspiration just like you did? Yeah. Um, there's actually a, a lot of really good podcasts out there for small business owners. Um, some of my favorite ones, and I don't know the name off the top of my head, but deal with, um, like social media marketing and they also deal with, um, just how to, you know, organically grow your brand without spending a lot of money. And those I think can be huge assets because there are ways that you can grow your brand on a budget, which a lot of small businesses are going to be on. They're not going to have that kind of money. Um, there's also another podcast out there and I'm not sure the name on this one either, but it's just a mindset, um, podcast that talks about the guy is a small business owner and he, um, you know, has started this thing from scratch and just kind of tells you like what was going through his head the whole way. So that was a pretty good one too, because I could make connections to where, you know, okay, I feel like I was at this point that he's talking about right now. And then I could figure out, you know, what he did to get past it. And then, you know, have an influence on what I do. But I mean, there's not really one piece out there, I would say. I mean, you have the internet, so just use it. There's so many resources out there to, to go out and get. That's, that's really all I have on that. Well, speaking of that, man, go ahead and tell people where they can find um, you maybe on social media, they can find Driftless on social media. Uh, obviously if you guys have a website, go ahead and plug that, but where can they find a little bit more about you, Jake Dale and, and Driftless? Sure. Yeah. Um, so we're on pretty much every social media platform. Um, Driftless quality wear on Instagram. Um, we have a Twitter now. I think it's Driftless 20 on Twitter. Facebook is Driftless Quality Wear. We do have a website that we do, we know we ship out of every single day. We're, we're, we're agc.com. Um, there's also a lot more information on that website that has to do with some of the trips that we offer, um, you know, kind of about how we got started, some contact information, um, that type of thing. Um, as far as my, my personal stuff, you can um, DM me on Instagram. It's just Clayton leave. I don't think there's any underscores or anything like that. Or look me up on Facebook. Um, I'm happy to help. Same with Jake. I think his might be Jake Dale nine. Don't quote me on that, but, um, you can find both of our profiles if you just go to Driftless's profile. So, um, yeah, I mean, like I was talking about earlier, if you want to help out or if you want to, you know, support the business, don't feel like you have to buy something because there's tons of other ways you can, you can, um, help the brand grow. So, well, good deal, Amen. One, one more time, I just want to say thank you for coming on. You have done awesome job. There's been a lot of really, really great stuff on here. 
Um, and frankly, it's just been great to catch up with you, man. I, I always love talking to you. You're like, I said, you're one of like the most interesting people I think I know. So I, I was really pumped when you said yes to coming on here. I was bummed that we couldn't get Jake too. Um, but he's obviously, he, he's got a lot more important things, uh, that he's got going on, but thank you so much for coming on, man. I really appreciate it. Jeremy, you can, I'll kick it over to you and then, uh, Nick's going to go ahead and wrap us up. Yeah, I'd like to just uh, reiterate the thank you. We, I don't think I've got to catch up with you since probably the end of the year baseball party. So it's been very good to catch up with you, Clayton. And it's been pretty amazing to follow the journey of two college baseball players starting their own business. I don't think um, many colleges, I don't know if any colleges or any experience outside of Upper Iowa has really had two athletes start a business that hasn't somehow uh went through the NCAA and, and pissed them off or it's just, it's just a bit amazing to see your, your progress from starting with the stickers and, and the guides to where you are now with a driftless quality wear. Yeah, I appreciate it guys. Um, I look forward to, uh, you know, what, continuing to tune into your podcast and see you guys grow too. So I think it's sweet. Well, we appreciate it, man. Jared, did you plug our social media? I don't think you did. I can. Yep, I can do that. If you would like to follow <laughs> us on Twitter, you can search at State Street Pod. Instagram will be at State Street Pod. And Facebook is State Street Podcast. And if you are able to, please give us five stars on the podcast app. Subscribe to us. Share us. Please help us grow so we can help you grow. That was a great tagline, and I'm glad that we came up with that just for this episode, Jer. So that was good. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But no, Clayton, it's it's always a pleasure, man. And uh, I do want those folks out there, like obviously we have a, a philosophy that we live by on the podcast and what we're trying to promote, but use some of Clayton's insights. Uh, if you are thinking about an idea, go for it, man. Because even if you come up short, the amount of invaluable experience you get along with some great friends along the way, it will only be really fun things as you're going through the process. But for all those kayakers, you guys better wrap it up because I think you guys have been on the water for about an hour and a half here listening to this thing. So you're either buzzing pretty good or you're pretty tired from, from rowing all that way. So uh, until next time, guys, appreciate it.